Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zivi. I'm the host, Zivi Owens. I am an author. My latest is blank, pub date March 1st, a novel. I'm also a podcaster, obviously, a publisher, a bookstore owner, and so much more. If you love books, you're in the right place. In fact, we call it the Ziviverse, or really, the LA Times called it the Ziviverse, and we're going with it. Go to ZiviOwens.com to learn more and follow me on Instagram at ZiviOwens. Alyssa Goodman is the author of Glitter and Concrete, A Cultural History of Drag in New York City. Alyssa is a writer and photographer specializing in arts and culture. Her work has been published in Vogue, T, the New York Times Style Magazine, Vanity Fair, and others online and in print. Alyssa has also written about LGBTQ plus history and culture for Condé Nast's Them, where she was the site's drag history and queer women's history columnist. She has been a freelance writer for 19 years and in love with drag for 28 years since the age of seven. Welcome, Alyssa. Very excited to talk to you today about Glitter and Concrete, a cultural history of drag in New York City. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. I appreciate you having me. Of course. So the first time we met, you had invited me to your Miss Manhattan series. And I remember going down into the bottom of the bar, wherever you had it, and when we all were writing essays about our grandmothers or whatever, and you gave me like this opportunity to talk and speak and present an essay out loud, which I don't think I've like ever really done before, except at a summer program or whatever, and certainly not in New York City. So anyway, thank you for that, I just have to say. Oh, that's very kind. I had no idea that was your first time doing that. That's very sweet. And I'm I'm glad you, you enjoyed yourself. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you for thinking of me. This was so, what, 2018, 17, something. Anyway. Okay. So glitter and concrete. Why don't you tell listeners, why did you decide to write a history of drag in New York City? 
Sure. Well, the idea came to me after the passing of the very famous New York drag queen, Flawless Sabrina, and she passed away in November 2017. And I started to wonder, you know, for for a drag artist, she had been covered extensively, but that's still for a drag artist. It's not the same attention that someone like, I don't know, like Brad Pitt might get, certainly. And I, I didn't want her stories to disappear, and I didn't want anyone else's stories to disappear. And my wheels kind of started to turn. And then I realized that a book like this hadn't been written. And the drag that comes out of New York is extremely influential. And there are a lot of cities across the U.S. with really influential drag scenes as well. But New York has always been my muse. And this is, you know, this is the city where I I live and I love. And I I wanted to to honor its past and to give an explanation of how we arrived at the cultural moment that drag occupies now. And what did you find that you were surprised about? Like how much did you know going into it versus what came out of it? I mean, there's so much, right? There's so much history from Ronald Reagan to, I mean, you have like the the wide swath of history in here. What were you expecting or hoping and what did you find and how did it, or did you just want to get it out on paper? And you know, what surprises were there? That was like 50 questions. So we could just answer them the rest of the time. So I actually, I have a longstanding relationship with drag. Drag has been a part of my life for almost 30 years. I saw the film Tuang Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Nomar, when I was about seven years old. And it, it's just kind of been a part of my life since then. My mother had a similar relationship to drag where she wasn't seven, but I think she was she was working as an interior designer when she met a person who taught her how to do her makeup. And this person was a man named Frank Hill. And Frank was also an Anne Margaret impersonator. So it's a, I write about this in the book too. It's very much like an apple tree situation, but it was something that I loved and was curious about. And so in the course of my life had like picked up these, these, you know, different tales of, of these different kinds of places and these different people. So there was an to an extent, there was a history that I was very much aware of. And then there were things that I had no idea about that I also learned in the process that I was delighted to to be able to share. And I think writing this book was was very much a process of making myself a student of this art form, you know, or I should say continuing to make myself a student of this art form. And one of the things that was so delightful to me to learn was Drag has almost a, call it maybe like a Forrest Gump quality to it in terms of its relationship to not just New York history, but, and queer culture, but American history. And, you know, something I say often now is drag history is New York history is American history, right? And to see all these different ways that it influenced culture and allowed not just, you know, the drag that we have now to exist but allowed queer culture to keep pushing forward and culture in general to keep pushing forward. It's It's been wonderful to be able to see it and to share it. So if, if you had to pick, let's say, three things that people should know about drag history or contemporary relations or anything, what would those, sure. what are the most important things that people should know? Well, first, I would say the most important thing for people to know is that drag is an art form in the same way that film or photography or literature. And what's interesting about drag is that it brings all of these art forms together. And it's an art form. This is will be the second thing. It's an art form that's thousands of years old. And I think another important thing, and actually Ben de la Creme talked about this on The Daily Show last year, which I thought was really wonderful, is like in the same way that there 
are different ratings for different kinds of movies, there's a similar experience for drag as there are for books, as there are for photography, as there are for, for again, any art form. But I would say, you know, the other important thing is that it's, it's not given all of those things. It's not an art form to be discounted, you know, and it has this rich history. That's, that's worth knowing about in the same way that cinema history or, literary history or any of the other genres of art that we talk about regularly are. So how did you become an author, historian, (laughs) moderator of a speaking series? Like, tell me about where you came from and how you got here. I'm from South Florida originally, and I moved to New York in July 2010. So almost, I think it's now, oh my goodness, it's 13 and a half years So she celebrated her bar mitzvah (laughs) last July. (laughs) And writing has been a part of my life. I think when I, gosh, I was in fourth grade and I had a teacher named Mrs. Ludwig, Susan Ludwig, who I'm still in touch with. And she said to my mother, you know, she really has skill in this area. You should encourage her. And so she did. And I did. And here I am, you know, and I... (laughs) And I've been a journalist. I've been a freelance journalist since I'm 15 years old, 15 or 16 years old. And so I was writing for the local newspaper in South Florida. And I continued writing for them throughout college. I founded a magazine when I was at college that ran, I think, until the pandemic. So it ran for something like, I think, over a decade. (laughs) And it was always, I wanted to be a magazine writer is what I, I really wanted. And, you know, I got to New York and I had a a job. I was a social media, what did she call me? The director of social media for a media recruiting firm, which was uh, this office above Carnegie Deli that always smelled like pastrami. And I was (laughs) an assistant and I got laid off and I had to figure out a way to pay my rent. And I just, I was kind of all hands on deck. I was doing social media for a long time. And then I I have been a full-time writer and photographer freelance since 2014. So that part is celebrating its 10th anniversary this year. (laughs) But overall, yeah, it's, you know, it's been a running theme in my life. And in that time, I specialize in arts and culture as a journalist. And I started writing about drag professionally in November 2011. And what was wild is that like at that time, I just, there wouldn't have been a lot of outlets for me to do that. But this one particular website had like an interesting bent where they wanted stories of, of all different kinds. And I pitched a couple drag stories to them and that they accepted. But I mean, it wouldn't be until a few years later when I was writing about drag consistently and there were people who were just, who were reaching out to me to do that and to do all these different things. And this entire time I've been writing about arts and culture for places like Vogue and T, the New York Times Style Magazine, Vanity Fair and L. There's lots of different places. So I have sort of uh, cobbled together this life and drag was always something I wanted to be a larger part of it. You know, I would to be able to write about drag with consistency. And then, you know, this idea arrived and then I had a publisher and I had a book and I had, you know, so here we are. And I I continue to write about drag. I continue to write about arts and culture. Like 
writing and photography are my bread and butter. So I'm very happy to to be able to do the things I love for a living. A thing I, I usually say is, you know, I didn't want work to be my life. I wanted my life to be my work. I wanted to get paid to do the things that I was going to go do anyway, you know, and I do. <laughs> I do too. I'm like, you know, I, I feel like if you can figure out a way to make your hobby into your job, I mean, everyone always says that, but I'm like, no, no, it's not really that easy, but I'm just going <laughs> to I'm just going to do this books podcast on the side and like, wow, <laughs> like now, I, you know, it can happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's, it's true when you realize the things you, when you're so clear about what you love, it's easier for you to translate that to other things. But anyway. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11, and it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help, and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash moms don't have time. Uh, so would you do another book? And if so, what would it be about? Or are you maybe already writing one? <laughs> I I would do another book. I do really like writing about queer culture because those are the stories that don't get told. And there are so many that I'm interested in unraveling from the past. And I think something that happened when I was working on this book, especially, you know, it was during the pandemic, I was watching the Criterion Collection a lot at night. 
you know, Criterion Channel, I should say. And I watched this film, Shanghai Express, with Marlena Dietrich. And she comes into this train and she's just like black silk and marabou and cheekbones and light. And I was just like, how do I do this for a living? Like, how do I watch these movies for a living? And I kind of just like kept playing around with these different ideas of what that could be. And, you know, writing about glamour is, is a little too broad, you know, and, and wanting to narrow that down. But I'm interested in writing about queer contributions to glamour specifically and the the people who were the image architects mm. that don't get the credit for for developing these, not just images, but visuals, stylists, photographers, interior designers that, you know, set the standard for the visual culture that we have now. Yeah. I love that term, image architects. Did you make that up or is that a thing? I had read it somewhere else, but I like it. <laughs> okay. Well, you are going to be the one to bring it into the mainstream. <laughs> it's just such a great way to describe that. And it does. Sometimes, you know, it takes a village, right? Mm-hmm. So that's amazing. You, in your acknowledgments, thank like 8 million people for all their help on the book. Tell me what everyone did that was helpful. Did you have a lot of people read drafts? Did you, was it research related? And, you know... To whom do you credit the success of the book? Oh, (laughs) well, the book was always for the drag artists who live these lives. Mm -hmm. And that was my biggest, that was the the biggest thing I wanted was to be able to honor them and the lives that they lived, the people who are here and the people who aren't here anymore. Because, you know, especially with the way that drag is talked about in our current culture, it doesn't get the respect it deserves even now. But in in the lives of the people who are covered in this book, it was even less so, you know, and wanting to, to make sure that people knew about them and that they were household names of, of, in their own way, you know, but the people I think in the acknowledgements, so I did for the book, I did, I think it was 93 interviews with 86 people or something like that. Oh my gosh. And some of those people were drag artists. Some of those people were historians. Some of those people were people who were hanging out in the scene. Some of those people were, you know, artists or, or involved in it somehow. But I wanted to be able to, to put together from everyone's recollections these, these visuals of this time mm-hmm. and these experiences of what it was like to be there at this time. What did it smell like? What did it feel like? What did it look like? Things like that. And... So that that's uh, the large breadth of people, and then there's also the the historians who stole whose shoulders that I stand on, who helped me with the book, uh, who did this great work of covering queer history before I did. There are you know my friends and family who were really supportive throughout this. I mean, the book took me five and a half years, you know, and I just it's <laughs> they listened to me talk about it the entire time. You have to thank them, you know. <laughs> And, you know, of course, the the editorial staff and my agent and the person who was originally my agent, who put me in touch with the person who's agent now after he left the industry, people who, you know, did research for me or for transcription or for all these different, you know, I wanted to make sure that everyone got credit. And that's something that's really important to me as a writer, which, you know, you may have noticed that like the notes section is also incredibly meticulous. Yes. <laughs> I wanted to acknowledge where everything came from and and who are the people. And if people wanted to go find these things themselves and read more about it was also something that was really important to me. Like I didn't want to be kind of gatekeepy about my sources and stuff like that, because that's not the nature of the form itself, you know, and 
I only want people to learn more. And if the book inspires them to do that, I want them to have the resources to be able to do that. Did anyone in drag throw you like, did you have like an amazing launch party or anything? Were there any fabulous parties for this book? My book party was, I think, the best party I've ever thrown. And it has since evolved into a show that we we have done again. So the my book party was held at a venue that's now called Baker Falls, but is the original site of the Pyramid Club. And what was great about this was that, you know, I had really wanted to do my book party at a legacy drag venue and I wanted it to be the Pyramid Club because that was always, that was always a, I had been like once or twice when it was open, but its spirit was something that I was always very much attached to. But then it closed and there was, I read, you know, this article about this other place that was opening up and I was like, all right, well, I'll keep an eye on it. You know, I'll see like kind of what's going on. And they didn't have a website for the longest time. And then they put one up on their Instagram. And the first thing it said on the website was we're the former home of drag in the East Village. And I was like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) and I slid into their DMs and I was like, hey, this is my book. Do you want? And so they very generously let me use the space. And it was the first drag event at this new venue. And, you know, the owner is very much a person who like acknowledges and loves and respects the drag history of the space and of the East Village. Mm -hmm. There's a portrait hanging behind the bar of a very influential pyramid club, a creative person. And, you know, just just gets it. Mm-hmm. So I was the first drag show that they had in the new space because it opened, I think, like maybe in July or August. Like it was very, very new. And the structure of the launch party that I had been dreaming of was that I would have hire drag artists to interpret a section of the book and then uh, as a performance, and then I would read the section that they chose and then they would perform. Hmm. So that's what we did. And then we all had a conversation at the end so they could talk about their work and the role that drag history plays in their lives because, you know, history isn't only about the past. It's about what we create now. And so we've been doing that We've done it now one other time at the Center for Brooklyn History um, as the Glitter and Concrete show. And then, you know, I cut down the stuff about like, you know, thanking my agent and things like, <laughs> that, you know, standard book party stuff. And we made it into a show. My producing partner, Jupiter, and I made it into a show. And so we're hopefully going to be producing it uh, at some other venues in the future. That mm-hmm. is so cool. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. So cool. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? Yes. You have to write, I think is the biggest one, which seems, it seems pretty standard, but (laughs) it's the biggest part of being a writer of any kind. And you have to read and you, you have to counter your own fear with your own desire and you have to do it constantly. And you have to understand that you're going to have bad days, but we all have them. And I Every book that you've ever seen, its author had a bad day where like they couldn't get out a sentence and that's okay. And it's part of the process. And, but you have to keep going the next day. And it is very much, I would say, you know, in some ways it's muscle memory of training yourself to, okay, this is, and you you set goals for yourself. You know, that was something that I did with this book. I was just like thousand words a day was always the goal. Some days I got 2,200, some days I got three, you know, like it's, but it's about having the goal and then just saying, that's great. I got it. Or I'll do better tomorrow. And 
that's how you you keep going. You know, a bad day isn't a bad life and isn't a bad book. And your stories matter. I love that. <laughs> bad day. It's not a bad life. It's not a bad book. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's that's that could go on a pillow right there. Thank you for that. <laughs> Oh my gosh. All right. Well, Alyssa, congratulations on Glitter and Concrete. Such an accomplishment. So much research, so much time spent and such a beautiful package to boot. So there you go. (laughs) Congratulations. I found out yesterday and I am allowed to say it. Oh, tell me. The book has been named a Stonewall Honor book. Oh, yeah. So there will be a sticker on it soon that says it's a Stonewall Honor book. Well, how cool is that? That is good for you. That is just so cool. That's amazing. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, you know, I just, I always wanted people to know the stories and anything that gets it out there to the people that need it is is something that makes me very happy. Amazing. (laughs) Wonderful. Advocacy and all the rest. (laughs) Okay, congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And of course, all of your successes as well. Thank you. All thanks to my Miss Manhattan basement bar uh, performance. That was kicked the whole thing off. Well, you know, we're celebrating 10 years in April. You should come back. (laughs) Okay. Done. (laughs) Okay. Thanks. Bye, Liz. Good one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.